Welcome home. I'm John Hernandez, and you have tuned in to the CFA Church Podcast. If you have any questions about CFA Church, feel free to visit us at cfachurch.com. We pray that you would walk away from this moment loving Jesus and changing the world. Enjoy the podcast. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Woo! Come on, church. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Look, look, if you know me, you, you know I can't stand singing worship songs that we don't follow through. Do you all know what an eruption of praise sounds like? I just feel like maybe we can take 30 seconds, and I don't care if you're watching online, wake your kids up in a moment. Can this place erupt with praise? Y'all ready? One, two, three, let's go. Erupt with praise. We worship you, Lord. There's no one like you, Father. You and you alone, God. We glorify you. We worship you, God. We worship you, God. All that you would be praised, God. We worship you, Lord. Just telling you, we are smack dab in the middle of 21 days of prayer. And if you don't think prayer works, you in the wrong room. I'm just saying, I'm just believing that God is moving things in the heavenly. I am so jacked about this morning. I want to preach a message that's called the power of the table. I want you to turn to your neighbor and help me out this morning. I want you to tell him the power of the table. What? What was that? When did I show up at a mission that's convention? When did that happen? I'm just saying it was cute. It's cute. Turn to your neighbor and let them know the power of a table. And we all know this. This isn't anything new to us. There's a power in the table. It actually, we just walked out of like table season. I say that because it's family season. We just walked through Thanksgiving and Christmas, and I know it seems like a long time away, although some of y'all still got your trees out. I ain't trying to judge you or nothing. I'm just saying. It's MLK Day. I'm saying we've moved. But there's something powerful about family and, and celebration. Matter of fact, this is Pastor Rick and Susan, our former lead pastor, current district superintendent. They spent Christmas in Minnesota with Derek and Dana, who, by the way, are doing incredible churches, doing so well. Seth and Carissa and that little baby girl just want to bite his cheeks off, which is weird, but yeah, cute. We love family. And Pastor Susan, by the way, wanted to say hi. She misses you guys dearly. And I'm sure we miss you too, uh, Pastor Rick and Miss Susan. And, and not, not just family, but you know what draws family around is food. This is my sister-in-law, Chris's uh, setup. It's not just, uh, we just didn't do Chris's setup. We went to my sister Lisa's house. She hooked it up. It was beautiful. My mother-in-law, like it was incredible, immaculate. The type of like tables that you don't want to sit on because you might ruin them. Until you have a plate of food, then you don't care, right? Like, gorgeous. You know what we do? We spend time making sure that every person feels like they have a place, don't we? Like, you have your kitty table, but you have the table that grandpa sits on. You kind of try to arrange. We put time and energy into prepping tables. Not only do we put, but food's very important. This is Dwayne Agard, one of my good friends, sitting here with Katie on the front row, and he really likes turkey, apparently. There's nothing like food at a table. This is my, a, a picture of my cousins. Um, this is my cousin, Boo Boo. 
Uh, yeah, that's his name. His real name's Ray, but we call him Boo Boo. Uh, this is my cousin Che, again, Jose. Eileen, Eileen. I know his, you know, the cousins. That's what we do. And then, of course, my brother and sister and my brother-in-law, Tim. This is our, our family. And look, this isn't even Thanksgiving or Christmas. This is just, we just got together and, and had breakfast. Like, there's something powerful about the table. This is my favorite picture I received out of all of them. This is the Canador family. This is a Canada family. You see how deep that thing is? This is all Frank's kids and their kids' friends and random people they just picked up on the side of a road, apparently. <laughs> and the reason Frank ain't in this picture, I, I said uh, I said his first service, he was, I was like, the reason Frank, he's on the other side of the table because pictures take too long and he's on his seconds already. Like, like there's nothing like a family table. He, here's the truth. Unfortunately, we have this trend in culture right now that's moving away from the, 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 the idea of community and family. You know, um, we, we used to do life in the front yard. Some of y'all remember that. You got home, you poured yourself a glass of iced tea after a long day, stuck a newspaper underneath your arm and made your way out to the front porch where you watched your kids move from house to house. You know, you put a big tire swing in the front yard. And your kids played with all the neighbors, and you watched as other neighbors came home. And when they did, you waved hi and said hello and struck up conversations. Somebody in between services told me that they would test each other's dinner just to make sure the food was good. We lived, we lived in the front yard. And then something happened. We decided to move family to the backyard. And uh, we built tree houses in the backyard. And then we put fences in the backyard. And the slats got thicker and thicker, and the walls got higher and higher. And then somewhere in there, they invented this thing called television. So mom and dad would watch the news as they peered out the window to make sure the kids were safe. It started creating a sense of separation. And then Nickelodeon comes along and creates this thing called television for kids. So now the kids are inside and the shades are drawn because too much light messes up the screen. Mom and dad are now on their phones versus a TV screen. But regardless, community has moved inside and we have stopped connecting with our neighbors. We've stopped this sense of family and community. And here's the problem. That separation has created a fear in us. Matter of fact, this week we get a chance to celebrate this incredible man who left this amazing legacy, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And I think he said it better than anyone. Here's his quote. He says this. People fail to get along because they fear each other. They fear each other because they don't know each other. And they don't know each other because they've not communicated with each other. He said this at King Chapel in 1962. How true is this statement even today where all the divisiveness, the, 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 the fear that has a tendency of motivating our decisions in the way that we live life. And then what about community? Where do we feel that connection? About a year ago now, Pastor Doug and I sat down and my word for the year was expand the family. It was a very personal word. And Pastor Doug was sensing that the Spirit of God was doing something in our church as a whole. See, we've always had groups, but really what we would say is our church had groups. Pastor Doug was sensing that the Spirit of God was moving a little bit and that maybe groups could be this incredible opportunity to extend the influence of the church and the gospel into the community. So we started talking about what that looks like. And really, I'm just going to tell you, this blew me away. I don't know if I had enough faith. I, to be honest with you, I didn't know what to expect. But in a matter of one group season, which is basically from August to today, 
we've seen God explode groups ministries here at CFA. We've gone from a handful of groups to now we see over 120 three total groups, and after first service, this number might be closer to 130, 140. Ms. LaDonna, you got a lot of work. It's incredible. But not just that, because that group number's nice, but really what we've seen is this. Over 900 people, closer to 1,000 people, have showed up to at least one of these groups. This has been not just slow growth, we've seen a tripling of the amount of people that are in groups. And here's the reason why. We are moving from a church who did groups to a church that is a collection of groups. You see how that works? And what God has done is not just given us vision, but he's given some incredible people. And I want to introduce you to one of those people this morning. Miss LaDonna, would you come to the stage? This is LaDonna Doggett. LaDonna is your group's coordinator, director, whatever you want to call her. She's phenomenal is what she is. Every lobby she's in, whether it's at Concord or in Davidson, I mean, heck, the lobby of the grocery store, she lights up with her smile. I say that she's the smile of CFA. Yeah, I love that. Um, and the reason I brought her up here so that you can see her smiling face is because some of you are going to be challenged this week to step into this group season, and you're going to get a phone call. And I wanted you to connect the face with the voice and the email, and she will connect with you because that's what she does best. Give it up for Ms. LaDonna one more time. So we knew we not only needed people who could, who could help what God was doing, but we also needed group leaders, and group leaders needed group coaches. And um, again, Pastor Doug and I sat down, and one of the first names that came to both of our minds was Aaron and Chelsea Rutledge. So this morning, I'd like to give you a small kind of taste of their tribe story. Um, my name is Chelsea, and I have wanted to be a part of the group's process, but I wasn't really sure how to do it or, or what to do, what it entailed. I feel like Satan truly wants you to think that um, maybe you just need to keep doing, like maybe I just need to keep doing what I'm doing. Maybe I just need to mind my own, mind my own business and just um, not be a part of something like that. But, but the more I fought it, the more I realized I needed it because um, it can be really lonely being mom even though we have Jesus and we love the Lord and we have our family um, sometimes we need other people to to really support us and to be there for us when when we don't expect it so we decided to lead a group and uh, we had sign-ups and nobody signed up and the first week came along and nobody came and I started wondering is this is this something we should be doing should I be leading a group I made some excuses along the way, um, like I really had a bad couch, and I didn't want to bring people over to our house if our couch was falling apart. You know, I was just, I was embarrassed. So I said, Lord, if you really want us to have a group, will you please send me a couch? And I know that sounds really silly, but I honestly like asked God for a couch. A nurse at my work, randomly out of the blue, who doesn't go to church, I know she's not saved. She came up to me one day. She's like, hey, do you need a couch? 
<laughs> I lit up. I was so excited. I immediately was like, yes, I do. She said, I'll send you pictures. I said, I don't need pictures. We'll just come get it. And I had no idea what it looked like. I, I didn't even care, honestly. Um, so we borrowed a truck. We drove to South Carolina. We picked up this couch. It was just an amazing, um, all leather, pristine condition couch. And, and I just knew, okay, God, you want me to do this group's thing. No more excuses. Um, well, I still didn't have anybody signed up. So I didn't know what to do, except I, I looked around and I knew that we had all new neighbors. So I got on my tractor and um, put my kids in the back and we rode around and knocked door to door on each person's door and just asked them, hey, do you want to come over for a bonfire tonight? And they all came over. We had like 19 people total, I think, including children, come to our home for a bonfire. And they stayed. We talked about all kinds of things. Um, and some of them didn't leave till 2 a.m. <laughs> I realized that we all want relationship and sometimes those people are literally right next door. So. Yeah. And th this is one of many stories. I, I could sit up here for hours and just tell you how God is bringing transformation to groups. You know, we have groups that are filled with teenagers. We have groups that are filled with college-age students. We have groups filled with senior citizens and everybody in between. And it's incredible what God's doing. But listen, this isn't a surprise to him. Jesus always understood the power of a table. If you have your Bibles this morning, Luke chapter 22 is probably where we're going to settle a little bit here. But verse 8 simply reads like this. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. This is probably the most famous dinner table in Scripture. If you remember, this is um, kind of the best representation, the one that you all recognize and remember but, you know, the, the painter does something that painters do. If you look at this picture, the balance is beautiful and the lighting is perfect at every angle. If you're into painting, what you'll know is that that balance creates a focal point and in this painting, everything centers around Jesus. But here's the problem. As beautiful as this painting is, uh, there was probably a little bit more turmoil than what you see represented in this picture. The way that the epistle writes, it says that, that on the night Jesus was to be betrayed. So in this moment, you know that Jesus is struggling with the concepts of betrayal and friendship and what it means. And also not just what's going on in Jesus, but consider for a moment the people around the table. You know, two of them in particular are uh, this guy here. Um, this guy is John. And this guy right here, this guy is James. They had one of the greatest nicknames in all of scripture, Sons of Thunder. <laughs> Sounds like a wrestling team, right? <laughs> like when they walked in the room, there was theme music. And we think that maybe they generated this name because they would call down the wrath and power of God. Maybe they use it to rescue people in brokenness, but, but no. Matter of fact, I just want one quick story in Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 54. It says this, as time drew near for him to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out to Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead to the Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival. But the people of the village did not welcome Jesus 
He was on his way to Jerusalem. When James and John saw this, they said, Lord, shall we call down fire from heaven to burn them? John and James were the angry twins. These were the guys that brought up politics around every one of your kitchen tables this holiday season. These are the guys who would scream and yell because if you let your kid watch a certain show on TV that somehow years from now his whole generation would be damned, right? Like, like this is that group, angry, bitter. We read in scripture about how they fought to see who would sit next to Jesus and they got their mom involved. So not only are they angry, they're mama's boys, which is worse. <laughs> not just John and James at the table, but you also have this character right here. His name is Peter. And in Luke chapter 22, verses 31 through 34, it says this of Peter. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Simon, Simon, um, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I prepared, I prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail and that when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. Verse 33, but he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and death. And Jesus answers, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And you remember, Peter denied him three times. This is Peter, the denier. That's not to mention all the other guys at the table, specifically this one who we'll get into in a moment, Judas. I know sometimes when we consider a table, we consider it pristine, kind of like the way that you prepared for your family this holiday, that everything's right and everything's in order. But what we see in this picture is everything but pristine. It's a picture of brokenness. Well, John, why would Jesus bring people who were broken to his table well, it's simply because of this. If you're taking notes with us, number one, at his table, there's life. At his table, there's life. You know, Peter moves from the deserter to one who Jesus would use to transform the world. Matter of fact, Matthew 16, 18, Jesus speaks prophetically over Peter's life. And he says this, I'll tell you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Jesus knows that Peter at the table means he moves from deserter to world changer. There's life found at this table. Not only is there life found at this table, but at this table there is freedom. James and John's story is actually crazy. James becomes the first martyr for our faith. Again, another world changer. Foundational building blocks to the church. God laid on the shoulders of this man foundation that we are is responsible for us being here today. This guy who had anger issues. And John, John makes a complete 360. He wrote the book of John. Then he goes on to write John 1, John 2, John 3. And guess what we call those books? Like they're the book of love. Beloved, let us what? Love one another. For love comes from God and everyone knows love, knows God because God is love. This angry dude wrote that. <laughs> he was free. He was given freedom from his anger. And now instead of angry, we know him as John the what? Beloved, how do you move from angry to love unless somebody draws you to a table and there's freedom found there? But it's not just them. Then, then number three here, at his table, there's family. And this is the toughest one. 
because of all the people at the table, the one that I can't reconcile in my head, um, and most of you can't, um, is this guy right here, Judas. On this night, Judas would be prophesied that he would betray Jesus. Matter of fact, Luke chapter 22, 20 says this, in the same way, after supper, he took a cup saying, this is a cup of a new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hands of whom is going to betray me is with mine on this table. This is a tough statement and hard for me to reconcile that Jesus would have a Judas at his table. And not only would he have a Judas, but what he would call Judas. Hear me, Matthew chapter 26, verse 49 through 50. So Judas came straight to Jesus, greeting Rabbi. He exclaimed and gave him a kiss. And Jesus said, my friend, go ahead and do what you have come for. Then the other guards grabbed Jesus and arrested him. On the night of his betrayal, Judas shows up and kisses Jesus on the cheek, which was a sign to those who came for Jesus, who Jesus was. And still, what does Jesus call him? Friend. You know, the reason I, I, I think I struggle with this, and, and maybe you do too, is because of all the people on the table, the one that I th think that I would love to relate to most is him. But the truth is, if you're anything like me, I probably relate to these guys a little bit more. Because here's the truth. I don't know what you expect of your pastors but your boy's broken. This is not a place on this table that I deserve. Someone brought me to the table the way that you were brought. And in my brokenness and deceit, you know, the, the problem is when we put ourselves in the center of this picture, it's easy to figure out how we're going to distribute grace. But when we find ourselves where we should be, oh, I just want the grace to be consistent and to be for me also. Amen? Right? Like in my brokenness that he would distribute the same grace he distributed to Judas. And I don't understand it, and it doesn't make sense, but that's the type of grace that I need, the type of grace that I don't understand, and it doesn't make sense. And Joel, why would you bring those people into your house? Because someone brought me into their house, and I don't know about you, but it's at this table that I found life and reason and purpose. I know it's really easy to point fingers, but really, collectively, if we're going to do what I feel like God is going to do through us in the next two to five years, we need to change our mentality when it comes to the table. You know, um, I told you when we first started this thing, I didn't know what God was going to do. But when he started doing and working, I, I, I just started praying this year. You know, God, if you're going to do more than I ask, then I want to ask some big things and watch you just do even more. So we have kind of two, two statements that we've been working with. Number one, we, we, we want to flip the funnel. We want more people in the next two to five years attending groups than actually show up here on Sunday morning. You're like, John, why? Because what we've learned culturally is more people want to belong before they believe than ever before. And they may never grace the doors of the church first, but they'll show up to your house for a cup of coffee. They'll show up to the gun range like some of the men will for some guns in Bible. I don't know how that works theologically, but whatever, as long as they show up. <laughs> they might show up on the Greenway, Miss LaDonna in her group at 6 in the morning in the freezing rain. I, again, I don't get it, but they do. They might show up to a collection of, of young adults at Pastor Kevin's house, or 
They might show up to small groups around your house to talk about things like parenting and what it means to be a husband and what it means to be a woman and what it means to be a man and essential oils and whatever they want to talk about. <laughs> but what I've learned, that's a popular group apparently. <laughs> Write it down. What I learned is that what God is calling us to is to bring people to the table at any cost. Matter of fact, Jesus spoke about this in the book of Luke chapter 14. There's this parable he's speaking about, and somebody, he's just talking about a parable about a feast, and someone's response was, wow, how incredible would it be to invite it to a king's feast? And this is Jesus' response. I love this. He says, a man prepares a great feast and sends out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent out his servants to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. But they all began to make excuses. One said, I've bought a field and I must inspect it. Please excuse me. He had some business he had to take care of. Another, another said, I have just bought a pair of oxen and I have to try them out. Please excuse me. Apparently his honey to-do list was pretty long. And then another said, I just got married so I can't come. He had some personal obligations. So these people were invited to the table and they said no. So the servant returned to his master. What did they say? His master was furious and said, go quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and invite the poor and the cripple and the blind and the lame. After the servant had done all this, he reported there is still room for more. So the master said, go into the country lanes and behind the edges and urge anyone you can find so that the house will be full. There is still room at the table. There is still room at the table. There is still room at the table. You know, what I've learned about religious people is that you can invite them and sometimes they reject your, your invitation. But as a church, what we need to focus on is not inviting the religious. They got it. They're, they're fine. We need to learn that the broken need to be brought. They need to be carried. And sometimes it begins in your house. And John, why are you so passionate about this? This is my story. See, it started with me. Uh, it was in a group that I gave my life to Jesus. Like, John, weren't you born in church? Oh, it's like born in church, like born in church. <laughs> My dad was a pastor, on, born on Friday. On Saturday, I was turning on kerosene heaters. Like it was, I was born in church. But I didn't come to the saving knowledge of Jesus until somebody invited me to a Bible club. They brought me to their table. There's 15 people in the room. It wasn't a professional pastor. It was a volunteer medical science teacher. There wasn't lights and smoke. We didn't even sing a song. I know that's crazy. And that's where I gave my life to the Lord. You know, it was in a group where I, um, I found freedom. Not just, not just once and not just for one thing, but walking in brokenness, learning who I am and what God was doing when I was young. That, that table was at the house of Greg and Essie Del Valle as I learned how to do life. As we would sit across their table and he would, he would walk through scripture with me. It was at his dinner table that I first seen what it looks like um, to really engage teenagers in, in, in discipleship. It was at his table. It wasn't just Greg and Essie. It was Greg and Essie, and then later on, Billy and Shay, and 
Kurt and Deb, my brother Ray and Chris, my sister Lisa and Tim, like this collection of people who brought me in. When Jess and I were young in marriage, we sat in the living room of, of Billy and Shay Cole and we watched them do life. And I remember thinking in the back of my head, if I could only be the type of husband that I'm seeing exemplified in front of me and Billy pouring scripture out as we played dumb games like, like Connect Four and, and Monopoly and my wife would get mad because I'd beat everybody in Monopoly. But you know what I'm saying? Like there was this... this this discipleship and freedom found at a table. At a table, I found family. Every Sunday night after church, my best friends, Kevin and Stacy and Kanata and Amanda, we would just fight and whose house we're going over, my cousin Lewis and his wife. And we found, we found connection at a table. I found family. And ultimately, I found purpose at a table. I know for youth ministry, you think, well, Pastor John, Wednesday nights, big stage, big crowd, lots of lights. You know what I love? I love Thursday nights at my house around the table. My wife would bake cookies. My boys would be running around in their PJs, and we would sit there and open the word together. And here's the crazy thing. Years later, I get to sit on that floor and watch some of those incredible young men and women get up on this stage and communicate the gospel clearly. I get to see them worship the Lord in true freedom. If you would have saw them when they were 12 and see where they are now, if you would have saw them as seniors and juniors walking into our youth group broken and they walked in this morning looking good with a friend, loving Jesus and changing the world, you too would understand the power of those moments as that table revealed purpose in me and it revealed purpose in your community. They'll find life, they'll find family, they'll find freedom, they'll find purpose if we would just open up our tables. So flip the funnel, and then the second thing is we're believing in the next two to five years. Here it goes. You all ready for this one? You might want to write it down, because when it happens, you're going to be like, I can't believe that happened. We're believing for a home group or an activity group or a study group within walking distance of every home in Cabarrus County. And P.S., Davidson, you too. We're not scared. We're believing that the Lord will rise up an army of shepherds and pastors. That's you, shepherds and pastors. You're going to hear a lot about that in the next couple months. But that's you, shepherds and pastors for your community, for your neighborhoods, for your workplaces. And whether it's a track field on a Friday or a, 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 a coffee house on a Tuesday or a women's group meeting in 75 on a Wednesday or a men's group meeting in someone's house on a Thursday, it doesn't matter where it is or when it is, but it's a table that you'll draw them into because I'm convinced that God is looking to change a city and he'll start when we open up our homes and begin at our tables at our tables at our tables I gotta stop I'm a Pentecostal through and through I told you I was born in church the next day they had me on a blanket patrol modesty blanket patrols I, I love an altar I love an altar love an altar some of the Baptist people are going to have to look that up on your phone when you get home. What is a modesty blanket? Never seen that. I love it. But here's the truth. There are times that our responses to the word are super practical. And in that response, God meets our practicality and makes it supernatural. So this is what I've been praying. This little sheet of paper that's located at the bottom of your bulletin should be perforated. Looks like this. Now I have a, 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 an army of volunteers in the lobby who, by the way, even if you don't talk to them, high five them. They're doing a phenomenal job. We have an army of groups, leaders who uh, are ready to, to talk to you, to help you find a tribe if you don't have one. But I know some of you are like, 
I got to run and get to the, the Mexican restaurant so that I get a good seat, so that I get my food fast, so I can go watch the game. And listen, I'm with you. I'm with you. So what we've tried to do was basically generate uh, uh, two questions that basically will answer the response for this moment. Question number one says simply, I need to find a table. I need to find a tribe. Been coming to church for a little while here, or maybe this is your first week. I don't care. You just walked in and just caught this part of the message. You're looking for a place where you can find family. We got you. We're asking you to simply fill out your name, email, and a phone number. LaDonna and her team will get a hold of you. If you have a moment, there's some people that will connect you right now in the lobby. You can literally be in someone's group by this afternoon. Like, we are not playing games. But others of you like, no, Pastor John, I want to start a tribe. I want to be a part. Look, in my neighborhood, I want everyone in my neighborhood within walking distance to know this is my tribe. We're asking you to check that box. And once again, Ms. LaDonna and the team will get a hold of you and we'll put you in a place. We train you. We don't just send you out there. We make sure that you have the resources that you need. And again, I know some of you are like, oh, that's complicated. Do I got to go to school for the next six years of my life and learn theology? No, 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 no. We got people who are working out on Saturdays. That's a group. Like, there's so much that you can do just right where you are and we really want you to be a part of this all. So again, at the end of the service, fill this out, check one of those boxes, tear it off, and as you're walking out, if you don't have a chance to talk to somebody at one of the tables, just hand them this sheet of paper. Here you go, here I am, and we'll make sure we follow up with you again. I know you're saying, John, it's just paper. But how incredible is it gonna be? Because I'm believing for this. In the next two to five years, Pastor Doug gets up on the stage and says, hey, by the way, we've mapped it out. We have a home group within walking distance of every person in Cabarrus and Davison. And you're going to look at Pastor Doug and be like, oh, yeah, I remember that was the vision, right? And you'll remember ripping this paper even now. And you'll remember the power of this moment because I know for you it's just a piece of paper. But for him, this is the key to the city. And I don't know about you. I don't like holding keys that I don't use. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Father, for the 123-plus groups, closer to 130, you have blessed us with some incredible leaders. But there's more you want to do. For every person in this room, every person watching online, for our Davidson congregation, Lord, for our, our Monday night location, there are people looking for a place. And yet there's also people who you're starting to birth in them the desire, a passion, to open their home, to create a table that draws people in. I'm so excited about this. I pray even now, Lord, for an anointing of a shepherd to be raised up in this church, God. That at our tables, in our homes, people would find life, find family, find purpose. Oh, we glorify you, God. We glorify you. That ultimately, Father, you would transform our city of how you transform us. Father, I thank you for the leadership of this church, for a senior pastor who knows that you're doing a new thing, and we trust that you will continue to speak clearly to him and all of us for the sake of your kingdom. Amen and amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for joining us. Here at CFA Church, it is our deepest hope that you have found the place that you can call home. For more information about this community or to find out how you can connect, Simply head over to cfachurch.com where you can plan a visit right from the website. It is our prayer that you will continue to love Jesus and change the world. God bless you.